Hiney pee, hiney pee, hiney pee. Baby Karagiwi. Wazire di Waganangshana. Wajani wina, he's an Kishana, he's got a givina. Halachni pee, not a jarawi. Pee, gee, wow, nangshana. We ta e, hunch we hidagni wida jay. Hump ta e, haramihe hump jay. We hump way cabra, cut upon a nook naga sa champ. Hiji correct jawi. Aho, pinagigi hawi. That's my trunchke over there. Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations. Or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic and I sincerely hope everyone else is as well. What well, was so much going on in the world today? I was thinking that uh, maybe, maybe we could set aside a few minutes for us to settle down, grab a beverage and just focus on our nation, the Ho-Chunk Nation. Just talk about what's going on, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. The first thing I want to do is say thank you. Thank you for all of you who spend your time listening to this podcast and then sharing your thoughts and ideas with me. Time being the second most precious gift that our Creator has bestowed upon us, it's important for me that I respect the time that you've invested in this podcast and that I supply you with the highest quality entertainment that I can provide. Today, Jabet Sine joined me on the podcast and she explained the history of the Starved Rock Indian ceremonial. One of the things that I took from her story was that her family self-funded the ceremonial. Later on, they took donations from various sponsors to keep the event alive. Now, these donations arose from personal contacts, personal relationships. These relationships took years to cultivate, but they occurred and they developed. There was never any money from the Ho-Chunk Nation of Wisconsin or Nebraska. Just hard work, time, and effort. Cultivating relationships, both personal and business. Now this is an example of how Ho-Chunk people used to do things. We did for ourselves. We needed something done or we wanted something. We worked, begged, borrowed, whatever it took to buy what we needed or build something. To finish the task. You got your relatives to pitch in with Judah or sweat equity. Whatever it was, you got it done. It was an unspoken system of quid pro quo. Help was given, a favor was granted, and though nothing was ever said, it was politely understood that if help was needed in the future, that help would be forthcoming. Times change, and today, our first inclination is to run to the whole chunk nation and ask for money, for funds for operating capital, if you will. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. If you can convince the legislature to part with funds for your project, bully for you. Here's my thought, though. Back in the day, as I said, you had to get out in the community. You had to be there for other people. If someone had a service, you had to show up, respect the invitation, respect the people who were holding the event. Kick in a few bucks and visit. Someone building something? You showed up, swung a hammer, held a ladder, carried bundles onto the roof. Dude, you showed up and made an effort. Truth be told, you could suck at swinging a hammer. You might not be able to carry but one bundle up to that roof. But you were there in the thick of it. You were paying with sweat equity. Because we didn't have money, but we had effort. Then we got a government. 
And the nation needed a lot of things. Needed money, organization, businesses, a president, a governing body, a bureaucracy. To get our government up and running, we had to create relationships with pre-existing government entities. We needed lawyers and lobbyists to create relationships with various government officials in both Madison and D.C. The nation paid these individuals to promote and protect our interest and help us get financial aid. These relationships paid off for us in a big way. Even though it was costing us money, we thought it was worth it, and it was. But that's back when we didn't have any casinos or hotels or sea stores. That's when, our, that's when our people were out there in the streets developing relationships. That's when our communities were small and tight. We all know who was doing the heavy lifting and who was surfing. Now we have all these things. We have casinos, we have sea stores, we have hotels. And we still have lawyers and lobbyists. And we still have these relationships that we have purchased. Back in the day, relationship building wasn't regarded as anything nefarious. It was simply the result of people putting time in with other people who had similar interests and goals. It's one of the benefits of life working shoulder to shoulder to see what results from that work. Like I said, times change and though we still help one another, especially during our religious and ceremonial services, a lot of the other times and things we tend to lean on other agencies and service providers. As a quick aside, I know of only one elected official that has provided that sweat equity to his people. As I said, it used to be common. Not so much anymore. Hey, if we needed help, or if we need help, we have our government to help us. And as I've said, I've got no beef with that, as long as the nation has the ability and the means to help. Let's roll forward to today and investigate our relationship building and what that means. Everything we do originates from the legislature and the president's office. Fourteen people lead our nation. Granted, they are there simply because they want a popularity contest, not because of what they brought to the table. These people have put their time in the Ho-Chunk Nation's bureaucracy, and now it's their turn. Now, this is simply the evolution of our bureaucracy. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just simply how it's evolved. Now... These same people develop strategies and develop the means to achieve the goals that they have created. But are they developing relationships? Have they developed any relationships? It's truly difficult to develop a relationship outside the bureaucracy when you're working inside of it and playing the political games that need to be played. Or are we relying and paying other people to develop and maintain relationships simply because we're too busy in our own house? I started this piece by talking about the work the Sign family did in maintaining the Starved Rock ceremonial. This avenue is available to all of us, and I'm sure that we have people doing that very thing, both within our communities and far outside of them. But what happens if you work for the nation, have an idea to better the nation, and you begin to work on this idea? You bring it to the nation's attention, you tell them to go, and they tell you to go pound sand. We got other plans. Cool, 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 you say. You're upset, but hey, there's only so much Judah in the vault, only so much water in the well, and all the good ideas come from the legislature or the president's office anyways. 
So you begin to cultivate relationships. You begin to go on the chicken dinner circuit and you listen to other individuals in cities who work on their ideas and dreams. You show up every chance you get. You listen to these people talk. You watch these people work, network, and build their dreams. And each step of the way, you're there. Painting walls, carrying bundles, pouring concrete, metaphorically speaking. People notice you participating. They begin to talk to you. They shake your hand. They invite you into their inner circle. Once again, you present your plan to the legislature and to the office of the president. Again. And again, they tell you to go pound sand. They got the money. They got the dreams. They got connections. And they have the throbbing brain. Now, you're putting all these hours into your dream. Your dream to help your people create something beautiful and new. Something that will benefit all communities involved. But our government pays professionals for our relationship building. They've got Judah. They don't need to participate in the rubber chicken circuit. They don't need to go visit members of the dominant society's offices. Don't need to make those phone calls. Don't need to visit or call leading members of the business community because we have professionals doing that. Back in the day, when you did things to help your people and you did it on your own, people respected you. They admired you. You were showing your community that you cared and that with them or without them, you were going to try to achieve that goal. Now, it seems that if you're working to help the nation with your own ideas, but they haven't been blessed by the legislature or the president's office, somehow you're working against the Ho-Chunk Nation. Somehow this idea of working on your own is nefarious. You are somehow working to create a dual government, so to speak. This creation of yours is working in the shadows to undermine our duly elected government. Our legislature and our office of the president must stamp this type of effort out and bring everything under the tent of our elected government. This is silly and stupid, period. The dominant society which we coexist with highly prizes individuality. It nurtures individuals to strike out on their own, to go down dark trails, open doors that have long been closed, to walk up to the abyss, look deep into it, and then take that leap of faith. They prize people who try, and they fail a lot, but they try. We don't value that. We value blind obedience to our legislature. We value followers. This is silly, you say? Is it? Is it really? If our legislature truly believes in the open and frank exchanges of ideas, then why do they keep promoting executive session and fail to bring up sunset amendments to end these discussions and to promote what was said inside of them to the people? Why does the legislature go after individuals who fail to toe the legislative line? Why would they make such a concerted effort to destroy individuals working for the nation, but not under the legislative auspices, and then labeling such work as nefarious and undermining the nation? Look at our Section 17. They are working to build up the nation's wealth, but a couple of legislators felt slighted by the CEO, and now he's gone. Now, that was both from pressure within the organization and without. But why? Because he didn't fall in line. He wasn't obedient. He wasn't doing the job he was hired to do in the way that he felt was the most productive. There are a million ways to move the Ho-Chunk Nation forward. 
But there was only one way, one correct way, according to our legislature, their way. Any other way is tantamount to treason. Any other way is undermining the democracy of our Ho-Chunk nation. Hyperbolic? Perhaps. It's just that I'm old enough to remember when people worked for themselves and the nation without needing our elected officials' approval. I'm old enough to remember when building relationships, personal, business, and political, didn't need legislative or presidential approval. But money changes everything, and now, just because you want to help the nation and do it on your own, outside of the nation's approval, that doesn't make you part of a conspiracy. It simply makes you someone who cares. Tonight, I'm privileged to get in the Wayback Machine and talk about the Starved Rock Indian Ceremonial. I have with me Jibet Sign, whose family was directly involved with the operation of the ceremonial. Uh, good evening, Jibet. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm very glad you're here tonight. Um, before we get into the meat of the interview, I was just kind of wondering if we could, um, or I could bother you, and have you uh, give us a brief um, synopsis of kind of like uh, you, your family, a little bit of your history, just kind of let everybody who doesn't know you okay. uh, find out a little bit something about you. Okay. My name is Javette Sign. That's my Christian name. Um, my Indian name is Stands Up Strong. That was given to me by my grandfather. Um, he's seen me. Um, the reason is, is because he saw me six months old walking already. He was pretty Ooh, Yeah, he was pretty uh, proud of that. So he told my mom and dad that's that's her name. <laughs> and so it's Moshna Jiwinga. And um, so mom and dad... My mom is Betsy Sign, and she was British, supposedly, she says, but I say it's British and Danish, so. Anyway, um, my dad was Haina Sign, Gerhardt Sign. He was a good artist. Uh, everybody knew my Haina Sign. Um, them two were very, very, uh, let's say, very good people. I mean, they did run things uh, by side my grandma and grandpa, and they learned things from them. So my uh, grandfather, Sam Sign, um, he passed away in 1984. Um, at that time, he did give it to my dad and my mom to run the powwow. And then my grandma, she was still around, Ruth Sign. I should say Ruth Mallory Sign, sorry. And uh, um, she stayed around for quite a while. She stayed for almost 30 years. And uh, she really enjoyed it. She really did. She told my dad, she says, you have to keep running this. It never has to go away, you know. And so he did. He came to Master Ceremonies. And uh, my grandpa was a very, very, I don't know how to say it, but he was a, I called him a gentle giant, but he was, he was a good guy. He took care of all his people there. Um, my, um, my history, for me, um, I don't know how to say it, but I just, uh, let's see, how am I going to say this? I did do some artist, like art, like work, like uh, making outfits and stuff and like that and started that. And I know a lot of people were asking me about that. And, you know, I either did it or I didn't do it. Just just whenever I felt like I wanted to do it. So um, I did go with my grandma and grandpa a lot. 
to powwows and stuff. So that's, and he basically got to be known as, you know, Sam Sign and Ruth Sign's granddaughter. So, he, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah. I have a brother too, Thorpe Sign, but he's, you know, he's making his legacy. He's already been a legacy. He's legendary, you know, fancy dancer already. Um, the thing is, is though, that um, me and him were the ones, I think, chosen out of the grandkids that we're going to carry this on, and that's what we're doing. So, um, back in, uh, see, I'm going to say this. It just seems like um, I was just trying to find, not find myself, but I wanted to carry these things on. Grandma had taught me how to weave, how to weave bags, you know, everything. Just how to beadwork, make uh, my buckskin dress, uh, you know, do applique, everything. She just had me doing, you know, doing it all. Because she told me, she says, one of these days, you know, when you get older, people are going to ask for that. They're going to say it's a lost art. You're going to have to show them that. And she says, and I hope you do. I said, of course I will. You know, I'm very, uh, very proud of it. Um, I just, you know, I want people to learn the lost art, especially young girls, you know, so they carry it on. And um, that's what I'm going to be doing pretty soon. I don't know if you know that, but in June, I'll be coming up there to do some classes and um, on the woven bags. Oh, well, good deal. Yeah, so that's that's what's going to happen, and I'm pretty proud of it, and so I can't wait. Um, I went to Haskell. There's one thing, 1992, graduated in, with the AAS in accounting. Um, I was on Dean's Honor Roll. And then after that, like I said, I just just bloomed ever since. You know, like 30 years old, now I'm 60. So I had 30 years of good stuff, right? <laughs> 30 years. So anyway, that's enough about me right now. So <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that. I don't that. like to brag, but that's okay. Anyways. So, so um, yeah, let's um, let's talk about this um, ceremonial. I tried to find some information on it, and there is really not a lot of information on the ceremonial uh-huh. itself. I just found one little article. but okay. So I'm kind of hoping you could fill in a whole lot of blank wall here. Okay. Start wherever um, you think uh, we should start at. Okay. So in 1962, the ceremonial then, um, it was a, um, they said, uh, it was very small. It was down in the um, Starbuck area below the rock. That's what I'm understanding. And my dad showed me where it was. And he said it was um, two, two, it was a drum with two, two men on it. And they had their headdresses, so they were chiefs. And I said, well, who were they? But he just, they say things. One was Chief White Eagle. The other one, he wasn't really sure who it was. But he said, I think the gentleman was from Tama, Iowa, the other chief. But they were singing. He said there's probably at least probably 40 to 50 dancers there. But they were from, they are all Winnebago's. From Winnebago, from Nebraska, from Wisconsin, uh, some from Iowa. And so he told me it was just a very small, small one. But... Um, at that time, my uh, cousin Jerry Savage, he was uh, a year old and uh, Chief Walks with the Winds for his grandson. Was, he was named by Chief White Eagle. So, and his mom was uh, Ruth Marie Savage and his father was Paul Savage. And they were present at the, um, here, or at the naming. And his name was uh, called Holchunk Skaga which means white Winnebago. So he was named there. So as the first naming, first ever naming. And then after that, 
they had 62, 1962, 1963. My dad said it was just basically about the same thing, but nobody got names. So it was just like a regular powwow back in September. And of course, in September, my grandpa was very, um, he loved September because it's the harvest. And, you know, he said that every time when we have a harvest powwow, that means that we're thanking the creator above for all that he gives us. And so uh, my dad's grandpa would go out and do his prayer and everything before the powwow start. And then after that, um, the next year after that was 64. And in 1964, September, and I was always in the third weekend of September. And that's the one he picked. My grandpa picked that um, um, weekend. Um, now, that powwow was just a little bit more busy and more um, people uh, selling things, more vendors, more dancers. There was uh, two drums there. So at that time, he had 25 tribes representing at that time. And there was people from uh, Tama, Iowa. There was uh, Winnebago's, tons of Winnebago's from uh, Nebraska because he had invited them as what he has done. What he did was he used to call people, you know, back in the days, it was the landline. So they, he would just call one person, you know, just let them know at this time, we're going to have this, you know, powwow, it's going to be the harvest. So I want everybody to come out and, you know, probably at least, you know, maybe half the res came, you know, out there to help him out. <laughs> and um, he would just go around just one little landline, just call anybody. Yeah, I'm having this and I'm having, and he was, you know, pretty good about it. Um, they had a princess that year, and she was Nadine Lastly, and she was 16 years old, and she was crowned. Um, I couldn't believe that, because that's like a princess, you know, here we are in 1964, a princess already. So, But after that, she only did it that one year, and then from then on, I don't think they even had one princess. I mean, they used to call me the princess, but I'm like, oh, come on now, please. <laughs> Grandma's say, you're the princess, Star Rock. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, there was, um, let's see, my grandpa had a friend, um, Chief Warren White Eagle from Paris, Texas. And he asked him to do Masters of Ceremonies at one time. And then um, he did drumming. And he was kind of like a sidekick where he would help him out, my grandpa, do things, you know, help him do, you know, you know what I'm saying, just like the side stuff. Like the, uh, now, back then, they didn't have a arena director. That was the thing. So everybody kind of like went on their own. So he just didn't really have that. And because, you know, nowadays we have arena director, we have a head judge, we have this and that. Not back then, they didn't have anything. So and that made it pretty neat. Because it was almost like a tradition. It was a traditional powwow, and that's what my grandpa wanted. He didn't want, you know, any uh, what do you call it, any rivalry going on, or this family's better than that family, and you know, so on and so forth. So that's basically what he did. And um, the other thing too was um, he had special guests come, and and uh, he didn't invite people. Um, at one time, um, well, of course, let me get into this first before I even say anything about that. But <laughs> the thing was, is that probably, eh, probably back in 1970, 71, they had Chi-Town, the Chi-Town drum come down. And he did depend on the Chicago American Indian Center because that's where he got most of his donations. You know, people come down and they would help in the kitchen and they had the donations of food and stuff. And, um, 
and they had the kitchen. It was a cooking area. It was outside. And uh, all those ladies from the American Indian Center came out to help. And boy, I tell you, them ladies is funny. They are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'd stay around, be cooking, and, you know, oh, watch that. There's a fire. Oh, my gosh, the fire bus burning. Up. You know, it's just funny. And it's just like, yeah, so I'm just standing like a little girl just looking at them like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> But they did a good job. They really did. They had big soup, um, the big soup, uh, what do you call it? Those yep. kettles. Oh, my gosh. They had everything. You know, they'd have chicken and rice. They have tomatoes, tomato soup is what they called it with hamburger in it and macaroni. Oh, yeah. And then the best one was the, um, the Indian corn. That was the best one. And then they, like, people would just make up, just throw stuff, stuff in a big old pot and just say, here, that's a soup. but you know they would have like breakfast oh my gosh they would have lunch and then they'd have supper and then anybody that was staying over was staying on the land you know for the whole weekend they would feed them too so So it's pretty let me interrupt you here so this was a um it just wasn't a one one um one dance event i mean this is a multiple days uh, multiple a fairy and a sunday Mm -hmm. okay okay yeah and it was like a well they would call it come in friday night pull in friday night and put up their stuff and then you know saturday morning was when they had the um what do you call it raising of the flags then grandpa would go out and uh bless the uh the arena so that's what, what they how did this um what was the genesis how did this begin i mean somebody had to uh Say, man, this is a good idea, and just do it. But why it starved rock? Oh, it had it happened at Starved Rock because my grandpa didn't have any land yet, and no land to have it. I mean, my dad said that. Uh, luckily enough, you know, there was a gentleman. Gosh, I'm gonna say his name. Uh, James. I'm gonna say James Malley. He told me he says he was like a, a director of the Illinois Department of Conservation. And I guess he's seen that first one, but that first one was only because they let him do that, my grandpa, just to see how it would go. Well, this gentleman came and attended it, and he said, I cannot believe this beautiful sight I see. And so it was his decision, James, if he, Mr. Malley, sorry, if he was going to have it again. And he told my grandpa, he came up, congratulated him, he says, I'll tell you what, I am going to allow this in the park as long as you want it. And so that was that was the beginning right there, you know, because my grandpa wanted to do it there. I mean, it was just what do you call it? It was a beautiful side. It was it was, um, you know, it's just a Native American. I don't know how to say it. Just a place where Native Americans have been the whole time on that land, you know, American Indian or not American Indian land. But, you know, on that land, the Star Rock State Park. I mean, there was Indians all the time there. You know, there's Indians that passed away there when that history of the Star Rock, how it got its name and stuff like that, Illini, and I can't remember what the other um, tribe was, but um, that's what he said. He just wanted to bring that back. He wanted to bring them spirits back, is what he said. So. Well, that's a good but, uh, that's a good Genesis story. I like that. That's really yeah. nice. And that's what he. That's what my grandpa was. He was just. Um, he was about the people. Not about himself. He wanted about the people, his um, own, you know, American Indian people. He, uh, that's all he did. He just gave his heart to everybody. And that was like this whole neatest thing, you know. And 
I just thought that he was like a gentle giant, but he was awesome. So, um, but just want to let you know that uh, probably, let's see, how am I going to say this? He bought, oh, this, a farmer had this land and it was like adjacent to where they had the power on the park. And um, this farmer asked him if he needs some land. And my grandpa said, well, of course I do. So I guess they went to look at it, my grandpa and my grandma. And my grandpa says, yep, this is it. And it actually it actually was it because my dad said the first time he went up there, he's like, oh, my gosh, this couldn't be any more perfect. Because it had the top level and then it had the roads down. And then there was a second level. And then he went all the way down and there's a circle. It looked like it was just made out. But it was a circle like an arena. Yep. And so what they did is they took, you know, bulldozers and start bulldozing around to make it look like a real, you know, a real arena. And um, they put blacktop in it and everything. So made um, arbors so people can sit underneath them. I mean, I don't know how to say this, but it was just the most beautiful sight. I mean, I just, um, how am I going to say? It? it was just so, ugh, you know, you didn't want to get rid of it or anything. And of course, they didn't have it, you know. After Grandpa's passed away, it was uh, we kept it going, but uh, right so, now it's just wish we could bring it back. So in 1971, so, you had um, was it still a active concern at that time, or was it? Um, I mean, was that at zenith, or was it? Yeah, it declining, was declining, or yeah, because when they got that land, and what they did was um, they had that last one down there in the park, and I think it was in sixty. I think it was sixty five. Was the last one down in the park and then they took the other one up you know to the land they call it the indian land is what they called it and when they went up there that's where my brother and my cousin jackie got their name that was the first naming on that land and they said it was perfect because of the uh the crowd they brought in they brought a whole crowd in to see all this and everything and it wasn't just like a not like a circus, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't something like, you know, everybody came to see clowns or whatever. It was just something very, very sacred to see an Indian baby. You know, he was named and she was named, but they were named in silence. They had a reverent ceremony for them. And then, you know, during the powwow, they would announce it. Um, but that's how my grandpa did a lot of things. Um, he, uh, to, to, uh, to put this in there was that he took care of a lot of people. He was not selfish. He took care of everybody's gas, everybody's food. He took care of everything, anything they wanted from those, you know, Nebraska, Wisconsin, India, anything. He would make sure they get it. So, and that's how he was. He was, you know, not against anybody, you know, stuff like that. So, so how long did the, the ceremonial continue to? It continued, let's see, 1970s, 80s. It continued to 2000. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, not 2000. It was, I think, 1997 was the last one. Yeah, it was 1997. Was it just, uh, I mean, the fact that there was so much other stuff to do then? Yeah, it was um, because the family was getting old. Grandma was getting old. And it was just a lot of work for the family. because I wasn't around, my brother wasn't around. You know, we just was not the whole family. We're talking extended and everything. And it was just hardly anybody around. So mom and dad and um, my grandma, they just said, nope, this will be the end. So when they did that, that was it. And they sold the land to Ho-Chunk Nation. 
And then after that, that was it. I was always wanting to bring it back. Always wanting to bring it back. But we don't know if it ever will. Hopefully it will someday, but we don't know. So basically your family kept this going on from 62 to 97? Yes. Mm-hmm. All those years. Yep. Every weekend out there. You know, it's so exciting because I'd go to school and, you know, come out there and be excited. People were coming in. And we were helping them out get their places. You know, you can camp over there. Oh, my gosh. It was so, it's just wonderful. It was just wonderful that my family was able to do that. See, that's the thing. And like my brother said to me, you know, Grandpa, without Grandma and Grandpa, it probably would have never been anything. So. No, so do you have a lot of people still come up to you and? Oh yeah. Remember when that type of thing? Oh yeah, they bring out the yeah they bring the, the bring the good stuff out. You know, oh gosh, I remember when we used to go out there and, you know, they talk about the kitchen. Oh, that was the only thing. I think the kitchenery and the arena was the two things that they really missed because arena was so. So it, it was wonderful because at nighttime they had big spotlights out there and they yeah, were good. Yeah, the spotlights that you have nowadays, well, they weren't like that, but we had electricians come out and put those big spotlights out. And when they turned them on, wow, people just come in and just enjoy it. And even at dark time, it was even better. I thought it was, you know, but during the daytime, you know, sometimes it was hot, and, you know, stuff like that. But it was awesome. So let me ask, I asked this question about the... Um, Stan Rock ceremonial. Um, are you interested in uh, writing a book, a pictorial, or a coffee table book, or something like this? Because there's a lot of memories here. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, I mean, like the Stan. I've never been to Stan Rock. I mean, my brother did. And he danced there, but um, I've seen pictures of it, but I never actually got to go there to uh, to look at it. Well, this will, I, this will be the same thing, only with Starved Rock, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, yes, Fanny Rock and Star Rock. Do you have yeah. a lot of pictures? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> I got my mom has got this is this is 30 gallon totes. I got five of them, and there's nothing but full of pictures. They, I mean, my mom and dad had so much stuff when they passed away. Well, it sounds like you got a book right there. Um, no, I don't got a book right here. <laughs> no, I got the only thing I've got. Well, I've got books, but they're not here right in front of me. My dad used to, um, what do you call it, draw them, draw them up for them and, and do the artistic stuff on them. I got some flyers. I just had a flyer in front of me just a minute ago. But, um, he was the artist of the whole thing, too. I mean, he would put all the publication out. You know, and stuff like that. Make sure everybody was the head dancer, you know, the head lady, the, oh my gosh, it was just everything. He just did the whole thing. Well, instead of a book, is there, could you put a, a display? I mm -hmm. mean, would that be something that would interest you? I mean, because oh, I'm sure that this yeah. would interest a lot of people because this was something that's uh, kind of like our, hist our modern history. And mm -hmm. I don't know how many... Uh, Young people are aware of this. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, um, like I said, I, can, I remember names from people that have gone, and they were just wonderful. I mean, they taught us everything. I mean, I, mean, I went out and danced, and the Maney girls were always there. Your mom was with, with me. And, you know, just, just the woman itself. I mean, and Helen, 
Harden and then Barbara Roark and me used to hang out. I mean, it was just like everybody. I mean, oh my gosh. I can go through so many names and write them all down. Who did you guys finance this yourself? No, he um grandpa had um contributions from the council. The um it was through the American Indian Center, but it was a gosh, I'm gonna say a council of gosh, I don't know. It was like a Native American church thing, dancing, something like that. Really? Yeah, Native American Church affiliated with the Chicago American Indian Center, I think, and he got the donations from them. But you know what? The only thing is, is that how am I going to say this? They didn't really want much. My grandpa never did starting and out because all the donations that was brought in, people would bring in donations, donations, and that's what he took care of his drums, his people. Every, I mean, he would take care of those first. He never paid the dancers until later. So, which I didn't like that. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't too, what do you call it, too traditional about it, but. Times change. Yeah, I know, but it's just not what I, what I would have ran it as, you know, I wouldn't have did that, but grandpa always took care of the gas, food, you know, all those needs that you need. Well, that's a pretty good run, 25 years, especially during uh, changing times, too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, attitudes were changing, um, that type of thing. But you yeah. guys managed to keep it going, especially down in Illinois there. Um, yeah. What was the what what was the crowd like? I mean, was it all was it just a lot of young kids like Boy Scouts and that type of thing? Or was it like a lot of families would come? And Well, it would be families and Boy Scouts and people, uh, friends of the family. I mean, there were just. That would be, you know, just people come along. And uh, I guess I want to say that sometimes um, there would be people from, um, oh, how am I going to say this? They wanted my dad to do things for them, like the foundations. Uh, there was universities that used to come in, and they wanted to see what was going on. And at the time my grandpa passed away, this started. And then my dad, um, I guess, doing a fabulous job he was doing. And then they wanted him to, to start powwows, you know, to help them out. And that's where he got his little job from. <laughs> I told him, I said, you're taking two months on. But he, he just wanted to do it. So he was helping on the university, the Rory University. I don't know if you know about that one, but that powwow there, he started that one. I remember that um, one too, yeah. Yeah, he started the Pimatui one down in Peoria. Um, him, and his, him and my grandma just helped people out. And, of course, you know, um, we had a mixed culture out there in the arena after a while we had um you know the mixed culture of people that came out to dance and everything um what else did we have um we just we never had anything abruptly happen to you know that area down there you know on the land in indian land we never had anything abruptly happen i mean nobody got fired or anything about anything so you know it was just uh a very peaceful place. No, very I remember peaceful. you saying that it was a traditional powwow, and um, there was yeah. really no contests. No, um, that I remember no contest, when I was going no, there. No, Mm-mm. and the only thing that was, <laughs> this is what happened. The only thing on that one was they would like say uh, the junior boy or what was it, junior boys, you know, fancy or that wasn't grass at the time because there was hardly any grass. Yeah. I think it was traditional. And then the woman's traditional and the woman, you know, it was just those things. And then they'd have them dance around like they were doing an exhibition and then they would have them line up and then they would put the hat over them and everybody out in the crowd would just, you know, clap and scream and, you know, is this one good? Is that one good? 
<laughs> so I guess the one that won the whole thing, and they would just get, you know, maybe ten dollars, fifteen dollars. It wasn't a big, you know, whopping thousand or whatever. So they did something like that. That was just about it. No, that's um yeah, that's really, really nice. Really, really nice. Yeah. Um well I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um okay. I did want to think if um did I forget to ask anything you think is it relevant that I should have asked? Um not really, but the only thing I want to say right now is um, after 1997, after the last powwow, um, Janet and Joe, I don't know if you know who Joe Standing Bear, the one that runs the Midwest Soaring? No. No, okay. Him and his girlfriend, Janet Seville, who's, which was a very, very nice lady, my grandma started crying about, you know, not having it anymore. And she came up and he came up to that, her and asked her, Mrs. Sign, do you think we would be able to help you carry it on? And my grandma just sat there and looked at him. She's like, you, you would do that? And they said, yes, we would. So they carried it on from 1997 to, you know, um, 2000. Gosh, what is this? We just had one this last year, 2020, 23. Yeah. Oh, it's still going. Yeah, that's the last Powell. Because remember last time I asked you, I said, well, maybe I can meet him with the Powell and do the interview. Oh. <laughs> that's where I was. And um, so and Joe and Janet helped my grandma. Um, that's when they had the Stavar Powell again. That's where they put it back in there because they wanted to help my grandma so bad. They had it down the camping area, so she was happy. My grandma was just ecstatic about it. And, uh, of course, the park only allowed them to do it, I think it was like three or four times. And then they couldn't do it anymore because of the traffic, um, you know, stuff like that. It, was just, it, it just didn't make any sense because they said that, well, you already told us that we were going to do it. And of course, they just booted us out of there and then we went up to the Grand Bear Lodge, which is north of... Uh, Star Rock State Park, and they had it there, but it was just um, the the place to have it. That's what they were trying to trying to do for her. So, but I was just I I just wanted to say that because, you know, my, my grandma was just happy. I mean, she really did much did miss my grandpa, but she just wanted somebody to take it on and take it somewhere else or do you know that's what she was wanting, and uh, luckily enough, they came along gave it all yep well and so that is a great story because like i said i didn't know it was still going on i thought it had uh ceased to ceased to function uh 97 or before that so yeah that's and, a great um, story yeah and um like i said uh we were the head dancers for i was head dancer for probably five to six years and then nicole my niece was which is my brother's um daughter she was uh, my brother's been dancing, had dancing for that for, I don't know how long, since 1997. <laughs> you know, and he's, he says, well, he says, I'm going to try for one more year. But, you know, he's getting to the point where he's just getting a little old, you know, fancy dancing for that long. So. <laughs> That'll <laughs> take it out of you. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, I enjoy it. Well, much. we're here at the end of the interview. And um, one of the things I like to do is I give my guests an opportunity to uh, promote anything. Um share any thoughts you have uh, endorse any uh any products or anything like that you'd like to sell or uh share so um the floor is yours uh take it away okay um i mean to share like uh i have to share some uh 
some things about what happened. Well, sometimes during the powwows, my grandpa would have people come up, like special, I guess, I don't want to call it special guests, but, but, you know, friends of his from Oklahoma. And at one time he had Harrison Hunter come up. He's a good friend of his. And he had met him down there when my grandma and grandpa moved to Oklahoma, trying back in 1940s, I think. I'm not sure, but he had him come up uh, for one weekend, which was nice. Um, he also had, um, I think he had a hoop dancer there at one time, but I'm not sure, but he had that. And then he would like get certain people, like special people would come up. Um, but I think that's, that's the only ones I really know. Cause the, the, the hoop dancer, I don't know if you know, oh, I can't even remember her name now. It was a lady and she would come out and hoop dance and, you know, do that special dance and he had to he asked her that you know if she could do that but um well, i wish i could was it opal skenendor thank you all right that's who it was. <laughs> <laughs> that's who it was yeah she come out and she'd just be hooping away and my grandpa had her as a special guest and then you know after a while um after he was you know passed on and everything we just after that it was basically weddings um people giving somebody a feather it's just things like that my wedding was out there by the way whoa 1993 yes when i married uh my husband from haskell and i had my wedding out there so yeah and that was really nice so <laughs> and i would say yeah indian uh indian ways will stay together forever i'm like really well i just got divorced sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sorry to hear that I know it's okay. It's all right. I mean, it happens when you know things don't go right. But no, I just you know, and there was so much. Um, gosh, there's so much to think about and say. You know, I mean, every year um, I'd always look up on. I don't want to say look up on the hill, but you know, you're down here and up there is where the master ceremonies and stuff is. And you know, always up sitting there up there was all my uh, relatives, and uh, each one of them. You know, they had uh, smiles on their faces. They were happy. And Casper, I don't know if you remember Casper. Yes. Casper Mallory. Yep. He was up there. Yeah, he's uh, related to my, uh, he's my grandma's, um, I think, half-brother. I could never get these things straight because they tell me, and I was like half, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll remember that when I'm about 50, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was at half. And then um, who else was, oh, Dan Mallory. That was another one I remember being up there. Yep. But it was mostly her brothers and sisters were there. Uh, and Grandpa, he would have maybe a brother. He didn't have any sisters, but just brothers. Um, Carson, uh, Bob, Chocobob. Um, you know, just, they would be up there once in a while just having fun, you know, like they should. Uh, that was that, that memory right there just hits me so hard because I always remember them just sitting up there, you know, and... Um, I think um, a lot of cousins of mine would come dance once in a while, but not all the time. So, and uh, I remember Janine Hefner; she was there one time. And I even asked her one day. I said, "I got a picture of you with you your outfit on." She said, "Well, when was that?" I said, "I think it was back in, gosh, nineteen maybe eighty-seven. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah," and uh, she was amazed. She said, I was standing. I said, yes, you were. <laughs> wow. She said, man, I'm in a wheelchair now. <laughs> but I'm going to give her that copy of that, uh, you know, that photo. And, of course, everybody's been asking me about photos. 
you know, copies of photos or stuff like that. Oh my gosh, I got tons of them. Well, but, can I ask you to uh, one last thing? I want to ask you. Yeah. Think about that book. That would be yeah. um, really something. I think everybody would enjoy that. I mean, just the photos and the stories and. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. Yeah, that would be awesome. Because I can even ask other kids, you know, the ones that are about my age and everything. And the, and there's still ones around for the American Indian Center, ladies that are still around. Uh, and Lona Maney, she would always bring something up about that, you know, about that powwow. Because she just, she loved it out there. Her yeah. and her mom and her sisters would come out there in camp and just have a blast. <laughs> you know, it was just, I don't know. It was a beautiful place. Yep. All right, well, let me let you go. It's uh, getting late in the evening, and I don't want to take up all your okay. time. But I just want to say uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again. Okay, sounds good. All right, thank you very much for your time. All right, you're welcome. A kiddiwida high paint. One of the funniest things I've seen on TikTok and Instagram lately are the uh, videos mocking indigenous council members and their claims of self-importance. These pieces are obviously satirical, but they are amusing when uh, done correctly. What do you mean we're going to be there? That shit starts whenever I show up. Don't you know I'm on council? Huh? Shit, my mom had me try on this jacket. Looks like I should be working on council, hey? Don't you know I'm on council? Now, we don't have a council, but we do have a legislature, and it grieves me to say that we have members of our legislature who raise their voice to people saying, we're the legislature. I find it amusing, but other people take it to heart and are offended by it. I want to say here that I respect our legislature and that respect the individuals who hold that office. I certainly don't want it, but that's because I'm frail and thin-skinned. All I'm saying is please, don't become a caricature or a punchline. We all know who you are and all the work that you do for yourself and all our people. Just truly, don't take offense at some of the things people say and continue to do your work.